You're listening to In Conversation from the Educational Freedom Institute. We're all about the choice on the Educational Freedom Institute podcast. Hello, everybody. Um, Again, as you all know, this is Corey DeAngelis, your host with my co-host, Matthew Nielsen. He's the founder of the Educational Freedom Institute. And today we have a super special guest. Uh, This is Senator Senator Manny Diaz, Jr., uh, from Florida, and he represents a District 36 in the Miami-Dade County in Florida, and he's a big proponent of school choice. Uh, so, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast, Senator. No, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here, and a, and, a, and a real honor. Thank you for having me on. It's uh, it's always great to have these opportunities to discuss educational freedom, school choice, and all those things. Uh, you know, some places it's not popular, but uh, but it's it's great to be here with you guys. Well, look, you're right. Some places it's not very popular and not a lot of people have access to these types of options, but Florida is leading the way. I mean, I saw a Wall Street Journal article last year saying that DeSantis signed a bill that was the biggest expansion of school choice in U.S. history. And that's where you're at in Florida is the state that everybody's looking at um, for, for how to do educational freedom right. So could you give us a little bit of a background on uh, just the educational choice landscape in Florida and the opportunities that families already have. And then could you just go into um, your proposal, Senate Bill 48, and how that would further advance educational freedom? Yeah, absolutely. A- absolutely proud to, to, to be in Florida. And, and we always see ourselves as a leader in school choice. And, you know, I, I've been following some of the stuff you've been putting up about what's going on across the nation. And it's ex- extremely exciting. I'd, I'd love to help wherever I can. But here in Florida, you're right. The Governor DeSantis signed that. They called it the, the largest uh, school choice bill in history. And I was proud to be the sponsor of that bill. And uh, we actually had to back we had back to back bills. I mean, we've had I was in the House from 2012, 2018, and now in the Senate, and we were able to do some uh, some pretty neat stuff there uh, with charter schools. We created schools of hope, which is a whole nother you know conversation probably for another day, um, giving students access to high quality schools in low income areas and, and bringing in good providers. But we're really proud of the creation of the Family Empowerment Scholarship, which is our latest creation. And that happened two sessions ago. That was my bill. Uh, basically, we created a, a straight-up voucher. Um, in Florida, we've had the tax credit scholarship going uh, now around 20 years, and that is funded mm-hmm. through the donations of corporations who receive a tax credit in return for their for their tax burden in the state. And that program was going upwards uh, 100,000 students. Um, but you know, there's a there's a there's a point there where you know there's only a certain number of tax credits and corporate donations that you can get to, and the demand of the program kept growing, as you can imagine, from parents. Um, so Governor DeSantis got elected. Uh, we got together and he said, "Hey, listen, we want to get rid of this wait list. We don't want to have a wait list going on going forward." And so we tackled that. Uh, you know, I'm thankful to to Bill Galvano, who was the president of the Senate at that time, and, and my good friend Jose Oliva, who was the Speaker of the House, big, big proponent uh, of school vouchers and school choice. And we were able to tackle that bill and create the Family Empowerment Scholarship to add to the landscape. And I'll go into that. So that that one's a it's a straight right now. The way it sits, it's a straight voucher. Uh, it's funded out of the out of the school funding formula, and it, it is for students that are. Uh, it's means tested 300% above poverty is the top limit right now, 
uh, but students that are 185 or below receive first priority uh, mm -hmm. as it should be. And, and it does have an escalator. So, so it's interesting enough, we put an escalator in there where not only does the grow, program grow, uh, and we put this in last session, it grows by 1% of our public school population annually, which in Florida turns out to be about 28,000 students a year, which is a pretty good growth clip. Um, and we wanted to be mindful that we didn't outkick our coverage with the availability of quality schools and options for parents. So we kind of put it on its own growth path. Uh, we also put in there an escalator for the income, the means test, where if a certain number of the scholarship is not used by the current means test, it automatically kicks up 25%. And the commissioner this year implemented that. And so now we're really at, the FES is really at 375% above um, ab above the poverty line. Most of those scholarships, as you can imagine, are still used by by lo lower income uh, families. And, and so we're part of that. So that along with Traditionally, we've had for about 20 years, the, the McKay Scholarship, which is specifically designated for students with unique abilities. And those students need to have an IEP. It, it, the parents opt into that scholarship, take the student to a private school, and then they receive funding best based on the matrix of services that's provided by the IEP. And so it really gives a lot the parents a lot of flexibility, very popular program in the state. We had another program created about, you know, less than 10 years ago called the Gardner Scholarship. And that is a straight ESA. So it's an educational mm -hmm. spending account, but it's specifically for students uh, on the autism spectrum and with those kind of abilities. And that has been going great for the last about eight years. Um, and then we also, along the way, have created the Hope Scholarship. The Hope Scholarship was is really um, basically the FES scholarship but the entry point there is if a student's been bullied in a public school, parent has the ability to opt for a HOPE scholarship and take them to a private institution where they feel their, their child is going to thrive. And that, that was funded uh, through, through um, designations. When folks are buying a car, they can des designate part of the tax proceeds to uh, fund that scholarship. And, uh, and, and it's been around and, and been effective as well. So as you can see, we have a whole host of... Uh, Kind of a quilt, I call it, of, of school choice <laughs> options in the state. Going back to you know, you know Governor Bush's term, which really was the first, the first phase, the pioneer, the trailblazer with all this stuff. There was one scholarship called the Opportunity Scholarship, which was thrown out uh, by a court by the court at that time, different court than we have now, um, and that really was, would allow students to leave a failing school. And take mm -hmm. the money with them to go to a to go to a private school. Now, since then we've expanded our charter options, and and charters are really taking off in the state and really af uh, affording those families other options within those same communities. And so, we looked at this quilt now, right? And we said, well, listen, we've been doing this for about twenty years. It's been very effective, but we've gotten to the point where we feel like there may be some confusion. It's hard for parents to navigate all these different programs, and so. What do we do, number one, to make it easier? And number two, to protect the, 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 the students in the tax credit scholarship long-term not to be subject to these donations. And so this bill, SB 48, does all of that. It, it, it consolidates all of the scholarships together under one program. Um, it still has their unique identities. So you can qualify for the scholarship. If you're in the McKay, we, we combine McKay and Gardner. And so if you are a student with an IEP or a student with, with on the autism spectrum, you, you qualify for the McKay Gardner. And it, it is all 
a, a, an ESA. So it's all converted to an educational spending account. Naturally, most parents do spend that on tuition. But you know, with students with unique abilities, especially with autism, there's equine therapy, there's all kinds of out-of-the-box therapies, mm -hmm. and the parents would have control over this. There are controls. The scholarship funding organization vets all of the, first of all, the, the eligibility. Second of all, the expenditures have to be within the bounds that are listed in statute. And so, no, over the last eight years, we haven't had people buying cars or doing these other things. <laughs> it's really been effective. And, and Gardner parents are one of the uh, most active parents that we have in our state. Uh, and they swear by this. So this this actually increases the Gardner McKay cap to fifty thousand. It'll grow in in the strike all here. We grow it by one percent, which kind of matches the FES growth. So it's one percent of the students with disabilities in the state. So it'll grow by about four thousand students a year, uh, giving a, ample opportunity. What we, important to note that is with, with the Gardner scholarship, we were coming back every year to the legislature and having the debate. Uh, okay, we got this waiting list. We got to go out and fund Gardner more so that we can take care of the waiting list. This puts it on a glide path. If the legislature decides to fund it more, that's fine. But if not, there's a natural growth progression there that now matches what we're doing in the Family Empowerment Scholarship, which we'll talk about next. And we we took the um, tax credit scholarship that was outside, and we are bringing that in and and putting it together with the Family Empowerment. So now it's one scholarship. Um, all of the students that are in the scholarship are protected and grandfathered in, but now all of these scholarships combined come out of uh, the funding, state funding, and it grows at a 1% clip, which will be about 28,000 students um, per uh, per year. And that also now includes HOPE. So if you're a HOPE, if you qualified under HOPE, you go into that one application and click that. If you qualify through the means test, whether, you know, there's no longer FTC, FES, it'll all be one scholarship. And, and then if you're McKay Gardner, there's an option for that and you qualify under that. Now it's streamlined, it's in one place mm -hmm. and parents really get to understand the availability. It does grow our program to about 175,000 students, but that is inclusive of students that are currently in the tax credit scholarship. And and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and there were there were some difference um, differences in the funding uh, percentages and all that. We, we also now consolidate that. And, and so students in the scholarships will get 97.5% of what a student would get if they were sitting in a public school classroom. There is a savings. Of course, that doesn't include public school, you know, uh, public school districts receive capital, capital money and all of that that they generate. We don't touch any of that. And so all of it, the good news is all of it is an educational spending account now and parents really will have the flexibility. And I know we, we've talked about this on Twitter and gone back and forth of, let let you know the pandemic has really shown many parents we, we we've been we've been begging parents to be uh kind of uh involved for a long time and the pandemic has really involved parents because now the classroom was sitting in their living room right <laughs> so this really puts parents in command and it can lead to you know options like pods and things of that nature that we talked about it could be straight tuition uh it could it could it could be some tuition and some additional tutoring or other services again this is all delineated in statute and managed by by the, the scholarship funding organization. So the scholarship funding organization doesn't disappear. They still manage the scholarship. They're just out of the business of fundraising. And, and what they do now is they have a system that's proven uh, with these ESAs over the last eight years. They've been very effective in vetting and approving the, the expenses that have gone through the, the Gardner program. All we've done is expand that now to our other scholarships. 
So it's a very exciting time. Not only do we get rid of wait lists, but we really, I, I think we really step on the accelerator in Florida. And I don't, I don't know if the country, the rest of the country knew this, but we weren't just going to stand around and watch them do all that stuff and not, not have our own plan. <laughs> well, it's amazing awesome. that, that you guys in Florida haven't become complacent after being like one of the top states, if not the top state for school choice. And you guys are continuing to go forward. And from what I take from all of that, you know, a lot of the, the main benefits of this particular bill is look, we go from school choice to education choice. You could still use it as a private school if you want, but if you want to do a micro school or pandemic pod or use it, use it for special needs therapies or any other type of approved educational expenditure, now you could, you would be able to do that. And then two, your, your, the ability of the funds isn't dependent upon the whims of big corporate donors. Whereas if, if some, for some reason, funding got pulled from the tax credit scholarship, you'd still have a source of revenues coming from uh, the, the, the public dollars for your children's education. So you, you want to have a waitlist problem, right, with this particular uh, program going forward. Uh, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, what what is the outlook for this? I know that it yeah. passed out of the Senate Education Committee, like, what is it, a six to three or something, um, something like that? Um, around there, but Six what is, four maybe. Yeah. is it looking pretty uh, good going forward? And what would the timeline uh, look like on this, do you think? Well, yeah, it did pass 6-4. Unfortunately, party lines, which you know I can never understand because overwhelmingly the constituents that are affected by this, now it does affect my district, but but there's other uh, constituents in the, in the minority party which are uh, overwhelmingly, and the testimony was there, parents, students showing that. So it passed 6-4. Um, the next step forward, it, it, it's up. It's on agenda this week coming up, um, mm -hmm. and it's going to be on the agenda on Wednesday in the Educational Appropriations Subcommittee, and we expect it to pass there probably around about party lines. So this thing is uh, really on a, on a fast track. Um, I mean, it would have one more committee before hitting the floor. The first week of session is uh, March 2nd. So March 2nd. In, in reality, we're looking, we're looking at a bill that is going to be ready for the floor the first two weeks of session um, the, the, the house um, interestingly enough is, is, is a little bit behind in, in, in rolling out their products. So we don't know exactly yet. We've had conversations. We haven't seen their product yet. Um, they tend to move a little faster over there, but in, in this case, you know, the Senate's uh, kind of uh, leading the way and being the aggressor and, and that kind of, that kind of happened the last two years as well. And, and, you know, I kind of had that role in the house coming over to the Senate. I've been fortunate that the composition of our Senate in Florida has been very welcoming to school choice and, and, and really ready to be aggressive. And, and I think uh, I have to, you know, to tip my hat to Senate President Wilton Simpson, who, uh, when we talked about this right away, said, yeah, I'm on board. Let's get this done. Uh, it's been too many years with this quilt. Let's let's make it all. Let's have it all make sense. <laughs> That's I mean, cool. this all makes sense to me. And, you know, I, I, I just have to ask, you know, you. You said you you know you were the author of this bill that was the biggest uh, school choice expansion in U.S. history last year that DeSantis signed into law, and you've you've authored other uh, bills for school choice as well. So you're a huge proponent of school choice. You're an advocate of school choice and a, a big school choice champion. What motivates you to support school choice? What why is this one of your your main issues? And and uh, yeah, what what uh, could you give us some more details on that? Well, I, I got four kids, first of all. So you, when you have four kids, you realize that the the individual um, needs of each child is different. And, and unfortunately, mm -hmm. in this country, 
for, for, for a long time and, and, and for specific reasons, for institutions and for organizations that have a self-interest. We talked about school as, as a students as a collective. Well, students are not a collective. Students are individual students with individual needs. And so that's always inspired me. I spent, I spent 18 years in the public school system as both a teacher and actually a, a school administrator and, you know, um, had some frustrations, saw the realities, saw the improvements that could have been done had there been more flexibility, had there not been some obstacles put in the way and, and found that the only way to do this is, is to get outside of that and really provide uh, parents, give parents the steering wheel. Parents know best yeah. what's, what's best for their child. The government doesn't know best. And, and look, it goes back to my philosophy of what public education's definition is. Anytime that you are, are using the, the dollars, the public dollars to educate the public, the students, that's public education. Nowhere in the United States did we ever have anything to said that, that the, the, the education is public, but we never said the institution that had to give uh, the education had to be a public, you know, inst bureaucratic institution. In fact, you know, if you go back to our founding, the early educational uh, settings were all community cooperative, the churches, all of that. And and the main goal of public education has always been to, to produce citizens that are prepared to maintain and preserve our republic. And you can only do that if you have a, a citizenry that is that it understands civics and that understands um, uh, that is educated enough to understand how important and how delicate that republic is. And I think going back to the, those core values leads me to be to, to be the way I am, which is that's, you know, we need to continue to pursue this. And, and by all means, I, I am a big fan of, of school choice within the districts. I'm a fan of districts saying we're going to we're going to blow out the box. You know, we're, we're going to be innovative. We're going to re, we're going to re remove these restraints. And I've always said to them when they come and lobby in front of me is, look, don't don't ask to take away stuff from the guys that, and girls that are doing it right and, and getting results. Why don't you guys ask for more flexibility? And let's get rid of some of these obstacles. And, and many, uh, you know, unfortunately, in many times, the the obstacle is the is the teachers' union that that really wants to keep. It's both the teachers' union and the bureaucracy itself. Unfortunately, oftentimes I say this, you know, school board members here, especially in my area, they get a, get elected by a single member district, and then then they get inside these buildings and they they think that that's their, their constituency. And I always remind them, I'm like, you guys are free to vote the way you need to vote because you represent those people out there. In our community, you don't represent the people inside the building. And that's no knock against the people inside the building. It's just you know what happens with institutions. They they, they become an echo chamber. Um, and, and I think that that's all of that has inspired me. That That's such an important point. Um, just what you said right, right there. there. The, the fact that elected officials are elected by their constituents, and those are the people that they're supposed to represent, not the institutions that they are elected to oversee or to participate in. That's not who elected them. I'm glad. I'm glad that's something that you share with people around you, Senator, because that's such an important point. Not just for for you in the Senate or for school boards. Uh, it's really that's that's the way that the system is supposed to be set up, but. Too often, that's what happens when elected officials get into their offices, is they start representing the employees of the government. Uh, right. It happens all the time. So, yeah, great point. Um, it, go ahead. I was just going to say what what I like that he that he just hit on was was uh, you know a lot of people 
who oppose school choice will say that school choice proponents just want to destroy the public schools and they're anti-public school. But Manny, uh, Senator Manny Diaz Jr. was just pointing out that he has you know, re responded to them by saying, well, let the public schools be more flexible, allow them to have mm -hmm. uh, more competition as well. And that's not trying to destroy the public schools. That is actually trying to make them better and actually make them more competitive. So I, I like that he pointed that out. But I, Matthew, did you, did you have a question? I have a question as well. But you, you take yours. I'll let you. Right, real, and I, and I know we need to be sensitive to time here. But yeah, go ahead, Corey. Yeah. So, um, and this is kind of building on what you just said, Matthew, as well. But Manny, earlier you said something along the lines of, you know, the the uh, House Education or the Senate Education Committee vote was along party lines, but that it really shouldn't be. Could you elaborate more on that? Like, why should school choice not be a political thing and, and, and why um, everybody should be on board? Yeah, look, it's clear. If you take, again, we, let's go back to the constituencies. If you take the, 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 the demographics of the, uh, of the constituencies of the members that, that in this case voted no, if you look at the number of these scholarships, number one, that are in these communities, if you look at the number of people that are eligible for these scholarships and should have the choice regardless of their zip code, you know, wealthy people can choose by either buying real estate where there's good schools and they do it all the mm -hmm. time. That's a choice. Or they, they pay for private school. That's also a choice. So these people in, in these areas don't have that opportunity. And this gives them the opportunity. And I believe education is a great equalizer. But the, the problem is that I think that those votes are influenced by the fact of, again, we're talking about unions. We're talking about inst or the institutions themselves where they feel a loyalty or, or they, they, they don't want to disappoint either the district or, 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 the, or the teachers union and, and not looking. And, and look, you know, we've tried to do the job of, uh, you know, although admittedly, I'll tell you, because, you know, if they let us as Republicans own this issue, we'll continue to own the issue because I think it's a winning issue all day long, uh, especially during the pandemic. But if you looked at numbers in, in front of you of the favorability of these programs, and even for people that decide that the school in their neighborhood works for them, the ability to have the choice, right, to be yeah. able to, to make that decision is so powerful. And I think that, that that they're missing the point on that. And they're, you know, in Florida, a lot of them are up. Now, there are some colleagues uh, of ours in the House, on the House side. Been, there's a couple of, uh, of members over there that have voted consistently. Democratic members have voted consistently uh, with the school choice bills, including the, the creation of family empowerment scholarship. Um, we do have a couple of members who, who, who kind of are friendly to it, but you know, get, being friendly to it to, to, to actually voting for it, uh, there's a difference. And so I, I think that that's the issue. The issue is that those overwhelmingly, you're having people vote yes that have less and less people affected by them inside their districts and more people voting no that have a great number of people affected by it. And, and so I think it's, it is a statewide issue, but when you look at it by district, it naturally, um, you should be representing those constituencies and really giving them the opportunity. Um, and like, they, they get into the trap of the government knows best. Oh, teach mm -hmm. only teachers and, and public school districts know, you know, administrators at public schools knows what's best for your education. But look, parents mm -hmm. are not with that anymore. We, we, we've gotten to a world where um, parents are very savvy. Uh, I think the, 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 the pandemic has accelerated all of that. And, uh, and so I, I think that uh, eventually I would think that they would come around, but who knows? Well, it, it, 
I was just going to say, and, and uh, again, we want to be sensitive to your time, but it's awesome, isn't it, Corey, to talk with a legislator that just gets it. Like, it, it's, it's clear. Done. Yeah, I mean, not only do you get it, Senator, um, but you're getting it done, which is awesome. I mean, you you know, obvi it's obvious that you know all the ins and outs of this, and uh, and you're doing a lot of good for families all across the state. And I think you're uh, credit to District 36. So <laughs> good work. My favorite district until, <laughs> until, until, until redistricting comes and maybe the number changes. But yeah, but yeah, look, and I'll, and I'll tell you, it, my community, uh, I represented the city of Hialeah, which is a, the sixth largest city in the state of Florida. It is a always been a heavily, uh, heavy, heavy Cuban exile enclave. Um, mm. this, this education is incredibly important in the Hispanic community and having the ability to choose schools, uh, both for cultural reasons and also, uh, because, because, uh, a smaller settings or, or related or, or whatever it is are important to these families. Uh, there's overwhelming support here. And, and I am a district that does have a high number of, of these participants because I do have social economic areas in the district. A lot of them that, that, that are, that have. Uh, a lot of uh, eligible students. So for me, uh, it's both, right? I believe in the policy. I, I think this is the best thing for the state. I also have a lot of constituents that are that are big on these programs. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So um, we do want to respect your time. We're getting up to the time limit. Um, we could talk to you all day. Uh, we would love to continue talking to you. Uh, a, a giant in the school choice uh, community. Uh, this is, you know, one of the biggest states with school choice expansion historically and then uh, going forward it looks like as well and we have you know senator manny diaz who has uh, been an, a staunch advocate of expanding educational freedom for thousands of families across the state of florida and and really uh getting other people motivated as well because they can see from other states looking into florida to see what you guys are doing so uh with with that could you give us a little just Maybe just your final thoughts uh, you'd, you'd like to leave people with in regards to school choice, either now or going forward. Well, first of all, I, I thank you guys for having me on, on the podcast, and, and, I, and, and I'd love to come back. I think we're going to be talking about this, not just the rest of the session, but look, it's not going to go away. My, my, uh, my, the fire in my belly to continue to push forward. I, I, I think that, you know, the best defense is to be on offense. And if you're not, on, if you're not, if you're not charging, if you're not offense, uh, then, then, then you're you're risking uh, having to then go back and and kind of protect things you shouldn't have to. So, I, I think uh, I'm I'm very excited to be uh, leading this effort in Florida. I, I'm very excited to have the you know the, the Senate President joining me, and and you know I'm extremely excited to have Ron DeSantis as our governor. As as you guys know, he's mm -hmm. he's become uh, kind of a, a real popular figure amongst uh, amongst the nation for for various things. One of one of them is school choice. Other things is the you know the handling of making sure that we don't violate people's freedoms just because um, somebody says so. You know without any valid proof. So I, I'm I'm excited to be in Florida. But I, but I will say this: we will continue to pursue all of these measures, and we're not going to stop. And and we are you know I am ecstatic to see other states following suit. Uh, and so, what you know, if you hear of other states where I can be helpful to some of these legislatures, just to lend an ear or provide some kind of some guidance on what we've been able to do, I'd love to do that. And uh, and we're going to continue to push forward to make sure we keep Florida number one. Awesome, excellent. I'm hyped up with that uh, closing statement. So we'll leave we'll leave it there. Um, to everyone, thank you so much for 
watching the Educational Freedom Institute podcast. Again, this was our special guest, Senator Manny Diaz Jr., uh, representing District 36 in the Miami-Dade County in Florida, one of the states that's really leading the way in educational freedom. And it looks like they're going to continue uh, with, with their track record going forward. Uh, check out Senator Manny Diaz Jr.'s uh, latest bill to expand educational freedom in, in Florida, which is Senate Bill 48. Uh, go check that out. Thank you all so much for, for coming out and watching. And thank you again, Senator, for joining us. Thank you, guys, and stay safe. See you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find EFI online at efinstitute.org, on Twitter at EF underscore Institute, and on Facebook at Educational Freedom Institute.